the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. If you walked by our church on July 4th, on Independence Day, uh, you might have noticed that things were pretty quiet. Uh, I was traveling back from visiting family, and uh, uh, some of our usuals were away, and so we didn't have morning prayer that day. Uh, The office was closed, and even the garden gates were shut. Things were quiet, which makes sense for a holiday, usually. And yet, if you look in our Book of Common Prayer, the Book of Common Prayer being the the foundation for much of our common life as Episcopalians, uh, there in the calendar section, you'll see that Independence Day is in bold type. Independence Day is understood and viewed as a feast day, a huge celebration. Um, The prayer book tradition envisions um, all of us being in church on Independence Day uh, with a particular collect for the day, a prayer of the day, with appointed readings, with uh, with hymns, all giving thanks to God uh, for the freedom to worship and know God in our own country. On this seventh day of July, it's still a good day to be in church, a good day to give thanks for religious freedom, to to work on behalf of religious freedom for others, and to think about what it means for us to be God's people in this privileged place. The scriptures for the day help us do this as they remind us in various ways what it means to practice independence in a Christian context. They help us to remember that while the holiday is called Independence Day and we we celebrate our independence from a colonial power, it's not individualist day. It's not isolationist day. Rather, it's a day for refreshing our understanding of the common good and what it means to live in united states. The Declaration of Independence, after all, reminds us that we, the people, note the plural, we, the people, have come together for a more perfect union, for the common defense, for the general welfare. Our founding documents stress that come what may, we're in this together. Our first reading from Isaiah can can seem like an intimate one. And in fact, there are lots of Christian traditions that that hold on to this scripture as a, a reminder of how God is with me no matter what. God holds me. God nurses me like a mother. The image here of God comforting a child is like God as a mother. But notice that the context is not God the mother comforting one child, but a whole family of children. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you, God says. The you is collective. It's plural. It's communal. The other side of God's you is a we. And the we was a nation of Israel in the scriptures who struggled like children for 40 years before they were made into a nation. And so Isaiah's words to the people of Israel are offered as a blessing, a blessing on their continual effort to be one family, to act like sisters and brothers to one another. 
Isaiah assures the people of Israel that God sees their desire to be one people and God honors that dream and holds it close like snuggling with a beloved child. Our psalm sings out of a faith in God who's already brought us a long way and a God who holds our souls in life and will not allow our feet to slip. But notice that God hasn't snatched us out of this life into another rarefied, very spiritual place. Rather, God holds us where we are in this world. God works through the incarnation by coming Christ in other people, by showing up in other people to support us, to hold us up, to steady us, to give us someone to hold on to when we need it. Paul puts it clearly in his letter to the Galatians, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. It's not an individual thing of checking boxes and getting certain lists into perfection, but it's about bearing one another's burdens. Paul says to help each other out, not because it's a practical way of getting things done, which it is, And not because it'll make the other person feel better, which it will. And not even because it makes us feel better. And I guarantee you it will. But instead, Paul connects our bearing one another's burdens to Christ. It's as though Paul is saying humanitarian reasons are all fine and good. But if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, that means something. And from that love is a natural extension and expression of Christ's love. And it means for me to begin moving out of myself toward another person. That's the way Christ's love grows in our world, for me and for others. It's in the helping and the sharing and the the praying for and with, the serving, the feeding, the lending. And it's in the receiving of all those things, the borrowing, the asking, the allowing others to do for us. Paul uses a phrase with the Galatians that's often plucked out of context and misused. Paul says, all must carry their own loads. But notice, he's talking within the context of Christian community, of family, of network, Each must do something to help with the load because we're all in this together. Each is connected to the other. And so just like our families, the youngest and the eldest probably don't carry the same exact load. Maybe they don't even come close to what others would describe as a full load. But the young add their energy and brightness and reason to go forward. And the old offer their reflection and their wisdom and their prayers and their courage and their love for going forward. Paul understands that our living out of the love of Christ has no room for a family that would be smug and self-contained and work itself to death to obtain and produce and hoard, all the while looking at another neighbor and condemning them. All those lazy so-and-sos, they really should go to work. Paul has no time for that attitude. Instead, Paul commends a picture of Christian community that shows us people who are helping one another to share each other's burdens. 
Many of you know that each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke, um, have symbols that are attached to them through Christian tradition and history. Often they show up in art history. If you go to the Metropolitan Museum and you know the four symbols for the four Gospels, it's the key to understanding a whole lot of the images you'll see in the medieval and religious section. The symbol for the Gospel of Luke is historically and traditionally the ox. Some suggest that the ox represents the Gospel of Luke because it's a beast of burden. The ox may seem slow and plodding to some, but especially in other cultures, the ox is the king of the animals. It carries loads, it moves things, it's strong and persistent. And it's because of the ox and its work that other things can grow and develop and create. Jesus sends his disciples out in pairs, and he sends us out in a similar way. And sometimes we might be called to be the strong one, to put out extra effort, to be like the ox and ease the weight of another. But there are other times when we might be out of energy and resources and we need to rely on somebody else to help with whatever burdens we're trying to navigate. The Christian tradition gives us a variety of ways of sharing burdens. We can ask for others to pray for us on Sundays or or through the week. We can pray for others, sometimes telling them, often not. We can share burdens in practical, tangible ways by showing our prayer in a note or an email or a well-placed word or a call. Money sometimes is a good way to ease another's burden. And how many of us have had our burdens lifted a little bit, if not disappear altogether when someone else brought us food or shared a meal with us. And then there's the meal of meals, the Holy Eucharist, that we share together. This ritual sharing of Christ's body with each other to sustain us and to nurture us and to build us all up, to equip us to take that body in us into the world. Here in this church, we share one another's burdens by volunteering in various ways to make worship happen or to make programs happen with Trinity Cares, to be paired up and visit someone with health advocates for older adults, with Holy Trinity Neighborhood Center, on and on. There are numerous ways that we can experience the strength of this community in bearing one another's burdens. If we can grow in our ability to be like the children of God that Isaiah talks to and comforts like a mother, we can begin to bear our burdens like Paul talks about. We can team up with others and draw on their strength and share our own. Way back in 1630, as people crossed the ocean to come to this new country, John Winthrop, the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, preached a sermon to an early group, a group of early Puritans looking for a place to worship and live in freedom. Well into this famous sermon entitled, A Model of Christian Charity, he says, now the only way to avoid a shipwreck in the future and to provide for our posterity is to follow the counsel of the prophet Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. 
Winthrop says, we must delight in each other, making others' conditions our own, rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together, always having before our eyes our commission and community in the work as members of the same body. In this way shall we keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I love that phrase, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Puritans were not very good at doing that. The leaders of our new nation were not very good at that. Our leaders today, and perhaps most of us, are not very good at doing that. But we pray through that vision. May the Holy Spirit renew a vision for our time that includes delighting in each other, making others' conditions our own, rejoicing together, mourning together, laboring and suffering together, so that we too might keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.